thank you for listening to Draw Near with Fred and Kara. And happy almost Feast of the Immaculate Conception. tomorrow, if they're listening today. Yeah, if they listen when this comes out. Um, So Fred and I decided that in honor of Mama Mary and December 8th, that we would take this episode and talk about the ways that Mary has influenced our lives um, and really encourage you all and give you maybe some practical ways that you can bring her into your lives. And then we're going to end with some scriptural teachings on what the Immaculate Conception is. We're going to have a draw near shorty flashback. Yeah, shorty. We've already done it. um, So we'll just add it to the end of this episode as well for people who either want a a scripture refresher or um, just have never listened to that episode. I promise it's just as good the (laughs) second time. Thanks. (laughs) It's just me in it. So thank you. Um, okay, so we are going to start by sharing a little bit about Mary in our own lives. And Fred has given me the go ahead to like prod him and push him to share more of his She testimony. literally has a device in her hand to <laughs> no, prod me. No, I don't. <laughs> that would be nice that we should get one of those. We should. Yeah, you <laughs> I'll just to, like jab you. To like, keep prod. me on track, you probably need one of those. Okay. Yes. Okay. So I'm I'm looking forward to that because I feel like mm. that's actually a, a request we get from some of our listeners. Like they want to hear more mm-hmm. about your testimony and, you know, pre-Christ or whatever. So. It's, it's funny because I always wonder, even though we have the podcast and we do this, I always wonder, why would anyone want to hear what I have to say? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I still can't figure that out, but I'm grateful that you listen and mm-hmm. I'm grateful that you do want to hear. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So I know, Fred, um, a lot of my testimony is kind of related to scripture, but I know the same is for you too, um, with your relationship to Mary. And I know a, a big intrigue, at least when I you know, hear testimonies of converts is like, why did you come into the faith? Because so often we hear, especially in this culture, people leave the faith. And so it is kind of a draw to hear, you know, what is your story of bringing you to the faith? Mm -hmm. So with that comes, you know, issues people have with the Eucharist, people have with, you know, some of the moral teachings and people have with Mary. So was this ever an issue for you? Was Mary? Mary was actually one of the first deep dives onto anything Catholic we did. Um, and I do feel like it was an early one. It wasn't one that was hard to accept. Mm-hmm. That's good. Um, the more, like just looking at scripture and being in a class where I had a great mentor um, who was godfather of my first two kids who walked that Catholic journey with me, even though I wasn't Catholic yet. And yeah. so I think his example helped a lot. Um, and so like he encouraged me to read Hail Holy Queen, for example, by Scott Hahn. Was that your first Catholic book? Uh, it wasn't the first Catholic book, okay. but it was the first, like like I said, deep dive into mm-hmm. all things Mary. Right. So I, I think, yeah, as I dived more into the teaching of the church fathers and scripture itself, it was very clear to me that devotion to Mary was there and was as old as the church itself. Mm-hmm. So I think it made me feel validated in the curiosity. Mm-hmm. And so... You know what we my wife and I we both read Hail Holy Queen and it was like a page turning yeah. like want to keep reading kind of experience. And it was during Christmas time, fitting enough, mm-hmm. you know, in December, um, as we were preparing to visit family in Ohio. We lived in Tulsa, Oklahoma at the time. Uh go Golden Eagles, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um and she was pregnant with our oldest boy, Jacob, at the time. And so we found ourselves reflecting a lot in that trip on what Scott Hahn said in the book, Hail Holy Queen. Mm-hmm. And we found ourselves reflecting a lot on Mary herself and the, and the Catholic teaching as we come to understand it. And at the time, our oldest daughter really loved the song, Mary, Did You Know? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go a completely different direction that people probably won't expect here. Um, she was about two and a half at the time, and she loved that song. Mm-hmm. And it was the Kenny Rogers and Winona version. Not and he, the good, like, Pentatox version. <laughs> no. Pentatonics. It was like 80s country <laughs> version of the song. Yeah. Um, but she loved it. <clears throat> and she would just, she would keep singing. And every time it would stop, she'd say, Mort me's baby born. That's what Aww, she would say. It was so cute. That is cute. And uh, so we'd play it. Translation, more please, baby's born. <laughs> like yeah, a baby's right, born. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, as we would listen to the songs and we'd find ourselves like, in light of everything we were learning about the Catholic faith and exploring, 
like that question, Mary, did you know? Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of neat because Crystal, reflecting on being pregnant with our firstborn son, found herself as a mother, like reflecting on that question. Yeah. But we came to the place where we started realizing that if you look at scripture, yes, yeah, (laughs) she did know. And so I think that reflection on that song and people that listen to Drani have heard me do say this a lot, like reflecting on the words we we sing in songs often has a pretty profound effect on my faith. Right. And that's how it was. Like if you if you look at scripture, Mary, did you know? Well, Gabriel told her, you will conceive and give birth to a son whose name is Jesus. Yeah. I mean it says Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. <laughs> right. Yeah. In the original language, Yeshua means God saves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of obvious. Gabriel also says he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. Mm -hmm. The Lord God will give him the throne of David, his father, and he will rule over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Mm -hmm. Gabriel's actually being pretty darn clear there. Right. So that's also from the Old Testament when David is, he's promised a son and those exact same words are used. Now in that context, it's talking about Solomon, Right. but it's the exact same words. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then finally we, we look at, when Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, mm-hmm. what does she say? The mother of my Lord. Right, yeah. Who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Yeah. And what happens, John leaps in her womb. Mm-hmm. You know, we could say the first person to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit was an infant in the womb, was a baby in the yeah. womb. That's pretty incredible to yeah. think about. And then the words of the Magnificat itself demonstrate, yeah, Mary... Yeah, she had Probably. an idea. She had a good idea, mm-hmm. to say the least. Yeah. Uh, yes. I know. It's a good song, but Mary, did you know? Yes, right. she knew. <laughs> yes, she knew. Yeah. Um, but we also see that phrase all the time. And this was the, the phrase that Crystal was reflecting on a lot as a mother. Mm-hmm. She pondered all these things mm-hmm. in her heart. Mm-hmm. If Mary didn't know, what was there to ponder? Uh, yeah, that's so like, true. She knew these things. So to be clear, Tulsa, Oklahoma to Dayton, Ohio is a really long drive. Mm-hmm. And we got stuck in a blizzard in Indianapolis, which happened almost every time, mm-hmm. to be honest. Mm-hmm. And literally all those hours we were talking about that song, for one thing, that's how much Hannah wanted to hear it. <laughs> but also like that's how present Mary was to us. Right. You know, Before you even <clears throat> came into the church. We weren't even Catholic yeah. yet. So we were still Protestant. I was still on the track to be a Protestant pastor, mm-hmm. but experiencing that grace of conversion as we reflected on Mary. Mm-hmm. But there's also like a second set of questions that emerges in that question. Mary, did you know? It talks about the things he would do, right? The first, mm-hmm. the first set of questions in that song talk about who he is. The second set, what he would do. And I think it's interesting, and this was part of the discussion we had. And again, I only share this not to be intellectual, theological, but... That's the second half of this episode. So <laughs> yeah. okay. But th- that literally was, reflecting on the song, Mary, Did You yeah, Know, yeah. was a part of like the softening of my heart toward Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be honest with you, Kara, I, I hadn't thought about that probably since that moment. Mm-hmm. I pondered them in my heart. Right. <laughs> the phrase we always say is, I put them on the shelf. I put them on the shelf, yes. <laughs> That's what that yeah. means. Yeah. So, but the question in the song, Mary, Did You Know, is all the things he would do also. And I think the conclusion we came to and what we saw was she probably didn't know the specifics, you know, but she had a good sense of the things he would do mm-hmm. and the why behind them, the purpose and what that would look like. So like, Mary clearly knew scripture well. The Magnificat demonstrates that. Right, that's Hannah's prayer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Proverbs says, train up a child in the way he should go. Mm-hmm. Scripture also says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature with men, mm-hmm. with God and with men, it says. Who was a part of how he grew in wisdom and stature with God and man? Mm-hmm. It was Mary. Mm-hmm. It was Joseph. And Joseph. Mm-hmm. That's how they trained up a child. So, of course, like they were forming him to do the things he was created to do. Right. That's what that scripture means. Right. And so I think that's pretty incredible to think about. Ironically, around that same time in this Protestant church we were in, there was a Sunday school song that the kids would sing all the time. And the lines went, God chose Mary to be his mother, to love and care for him. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So of course, yeah, 
she probably did know the mm-hmm. things he was going to do right. because she helped to form him to do those things, right. at least in his human nature. And that's pretty incredible to think about. Mm-hmm. And then we came to, I think, and this is the most Catholic part of the song that... They might be. not know as Catholic. <laughs> they probably don't know it well, well, as Catholic. <laughs> well, I mean, it needs to be pointed in the right direction yes, yes. and fixed. Yes. And it's the feast day we celebrate. Mm-hmm. The child that you delivered would soon deliver you. Right. It's actually the other way around. Right. The Feast of the Immaculate Conception. You're going to spend the whole rest of the show talking about that, Carob. So the grace that Christ made available by his death on the cross Mm -hmm. was applied to her prior to that, at her conception. She was spared from the pit. She was rescued before she fell in the pit. Mm Unlike us. It's kind of like like the child you would deliver will soon deliver you. It's like she already was delivered, but she still has to be delivered because he has to be born and die on the cross in order for her to have already been delivered. Right. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. So it's like it is true, but also like it's opposite. Right. That, yeah. 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 So that was our discussion. And it's funny because as I was preparing for this episode, I remembered so viv- vividly the discussion uh, the Indianapolis Colts were 14 and 0, and there was a game playing. I was listening to it on the radio in between our discussion, and there was a big blizzard, and we got stuck in that blizzard in Indianapolis mm-hmm. as the Colts game was letting out. Yeah, like that's how vividly I remember this discussion that we had on Mary. Mm-hmm. Like she was that present, and I don't. I, I I will never forget that, even though I haven't thought about it in probably 10 years. Yeah. Like I see now how Mary was moving us closer to right. her yeah. in that moment. And then you came into the church. And then, yeah, and then <laughs> began the journey, I'd say more concretely, into the church. Mm-hmm. Looking back on it now, it was probably another full year mm-hmm. before that happened. But I think that's when Mary began to just quietly nurture right. the seeds of faith that, you know, she planted. Well, that's her role, too, you know, it I feel like she always, especially people who may not, in the church, may not know much about her or have a devotion, but especially out of the church, people who may not understand fully um, the honor and love that we give to her, Mm -hmm. that is her role. It's to point us to Christ. So she was like sowing the seeds, not even sowing the seeds, she was making the soil fertile so that you, like she could point you to her son and coming into the church. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just so grateful for that. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd like to say... Like, I appreciated that immediately, but I think I did as doctrine. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think for quite a while, even after I came into the church, I think my relationship with Mary was largely doctrinal, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, you understood why we believed what we believed. Right. I I think even some of those lingering Protestant doubts that kind of existed, like, why do we pray to Mary? Well, we pray to Mary because Hebrews 12, 1 says we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. James five sixteen says pray for one another. You put those two together, you ask the praying grandmas to pray for you. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you ask? Mary's our praying grandma. <laughs> yes. <laughs> In why, heaven. Why wouldn't we ask someone with a better eternal perspective like yeah. Mary to pray for us? So things like that were, were easy to overcome after that. Mm-hmm. But as I as I began to come into the church, like I said, it was largely doctrinal. You know, it was largely the the theological things. Yeah. You know, that that was the summation of my relationship with Mary. Right. I relate a lot to that. I think Mary for me for a very long time was was just that like not I don't I can't even say like she was doctrinal and my relationship with her was doctrinal because I, I knew almost nothing about her except that she's the mother of Jesus right? and the Hail Mary prayer. Like yeah. that is the extent <laughs> of it. And I feel like it probably wasn't until college when I wanted to actually seek out things with my faith. I had a, a friendship where I was challenged on the Catholic teaching of Mary. Um, this person was not Catholic. And I kind of tried to explain, you know, the Hail Mary prayer. And, you know, when it says, pray for us sinners, you know, we're asking the praying grandma, we're asking mm-hmm. Mary to pray for us, that sort of stuff. And the response was, well, I don't really believe that. Oh, and, well. And like, how do you respond to that? It's like, <laughs> good for you. Like, I don't know what well, to tell you. Let's just rip Hebrews right out of the Bible. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. I was yeah, like, um, okay. But I also didn't have a ton of doctrinal, you know, 
um, information. I didn't have scriptural context. So like I didn't have mm-hmm. much to back it up other than what I had been told and what the prayer said. Right. And so I feel like that was really kind of the the time in my life that pushed me to learn more about her. But then it was still like she's just this like far away mom of Jesus that I sometimes talk to. Mm-hmm. But we didn't really have, you know, a child and heavenly mother relationship for right. a very long time. Um, but I think the things that I kind of have gained from her are her example in scripture. Like when I'm struggling with something, usually I, I can't remember. I think it was actually somebody who just who just um, commented in our book study. Mm. So if you want to know, you got to join our book study. Yes. But they just commented um, and they were talking about how like their relationship with the Lord fluctuates. And mm-hmm. they're like, that's natural because doesn't it do that with people in your life? Sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, you're in a good relationship with friends. Sometimes they fall in and out of your life at different periods. And, you know, that's the same with maybe family, that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. So I feel like that was kind of me with Mary. She came into my life when I needed her. And I know she's always there, but sometimes my angel is the one who guides me. Sometimes mm-hmm. the Lord is the one who guides me. Right. Um, And I feel like it was through, you know, this is one of my favorite scripture passages, um, Luke 1, 45. Oh, yes. And yes. you reference it in the visitation, but um, Elizabeth says to Mary, mm-hmm. blessed are those who believed what was spoken to them by the Lord would be fulfilled. Amen. And that one, I did not know it at the time, but I gave a talk my freshman year of college. And I gave a talk that was centered around that one verse. Mm. And I did not know how instrumental that one verse would be in my life. Um, I feel like it's just a very beautiful example, Mary is, of trust in what God says Mm -hmm. um, and complete obedience to what he says to her. And, um, And I think for... You know, different points in my life, I did not really have that trust. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm just thinking as an example, not that this is the only one. There are many. (laughs) Um, Like when I was in college, it was a constant desolation that I knew I was called to marriage and still hadn't met the person (laughs) I was going to marry. I'm sorry, but I'm sure there are people who go through that. So I don't want to I don't want to undermine that. But for me, like looking back at it now, it's like, come on, Kara, really? Um, God had so much beauty and greatness coming. Um, but I decided like, okay, I'm tired of letting this be a source of desolation for me. I'm going to turn it over to Mary. And that was really the first time I was like, let me intentionally try and grow a relationship with her. And so I did a consecration to her. And the, the last day of the consecration to Mary, my now husband asked me out on a date. Mm -hmm. So it was like just letting go Mm -hmm. and trusting that God has a plan. Is this the one you said yes to? This is the one. Well, it was the time I said. I don't know if people even know that story. Yeah, I need sorry. to I need to do an episode with BJ. Yeah. Um and he and we can tell how we met. Yeah. He asked me out that day. I said no that day, but then I also said yes that day. Gotcha. Okay. So All right. yeah. Um but yeah, I just feel like she's been there when I needed that reminder of like who I'm called to be and the example I'm called mm-hmm. to you know, the example of faith that I'm called to live because right. she is just such such a beautiful example of that. Amen. So yeah, that's kind of mine. I'm sure there's others, but that was kind of the one she placed on my heart today. And I'm like, I love you. Just your example is like mm-hmm. really the biggest thing. That's awesome, Kara. Yeah. So I know you have more. Like you entered entered the church relationship <clears throat> with Mary, and I know like she has since really kind of welcomed you in, and you've welcomed her in. So I'm gonna push. Yeah. I'm gonna push you on this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, push me. Okay. Um, you know, I. I Again, I, I mentioned it being a largely doctrinal relationship. Right. I, I think there was a desire for respect, like give Mary respect. She is the mother of God. Yeah. What I mean by that is I think of, so listeners have heard me talk about moments where in the process of my conversion, I got angry and I walked out mm-hmm. of the Protestant church, like uh, an um, a Easter play. Right, where, that service. Yeah, mm-hmm. where, where my pastor said, this represents my body, this represents my mm-hmm. blood, you know, I angrily walked out because I'm like, that's not what it says. There was actually another moment like that. It was a Mother's Day Mm -hmm. uh, sermon where Mary was never mentioned. Oh, no. In fact, several men were mentioned. Uh, What? (laughs) Yes. And I just remember being angry. And I walked out Mm -hmm. because I was just, how do we talk about Mother's Day and not talk about Mary? Mm -hmm. And yet at the same time, I didn't feel... I didn't realize I didn't have much of a personal relationship with 
Mary in a meaningful way. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that was because difficulty in my relationship with my own mother made that hard. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there's a lot of people that talk about this enough. And that is the idea that the relationship with our, that we experience with our parents can affect our relationship with God, how we perceive God as a father. Oh, absolutely. Can be largely shaped by how we view our earthly father. Mm -hmm. But I think that's especially true with our mother and Mary, Mary. Mm -hmm. you know, um, and there's there's a phrase in our world, in our ministry world, that has been going around a lot lately, and that's mother wounds. Yeah, that they seem to hurt more in the sense that you you expect fathers to be a little rough and gruff mm-hmm. and firm, but Pe- mothers have the the nurturing. The like nurturing you expect mothers yeah. to be mm-hmm. nurturing, to be loving, to be sources of mercy, mm-hmm. and when that doesn't happen, mm-hmm. it's confusing. Maybe hurts more. It hurts more. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of where we get our sense of identity from as growing children is actually from our mothers. Mm. You know, you think, Kara, you're a nursing mother. Mm-hmm. What are those first moments you experience with your child? Mm-hmm. Looking at them in the eye. Right. As they're nursing. Right. And then over that first month, you realize they can see a little bit better. Yeah, their eyesight is actually really awful when they're born and right. they can only really see clearly the distance from a nursing child to a mother's face. Right. Mm-hmm. And then over that time of the first few months, you get that first smile, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. A lot of our sense of identity comes from those early experiences with our mother. Mm-hmm. They really are. You know, you think about when we're hurt, when we fall, yeah. who do we often cry out to? Right. It's mom. Right. I want my mommy. That reminds you know. me of the training that we just did for CGS, uh, where she, the instructor actually talks about that, how the first eight weeks of a child's life are what build trust. So we, when we respond to their cry, when they need to have their diaper changed, when they look at us and we smile back, like those little moments are connecting neurons in their brain to right. help them in the future be able to trust. Right. Yeah. yeah. And trust is the key. And I discovered that that was the issue for me. Mm-hmm. Like, it's hard for me to um, enter into that relationship with Mary, to, to, to think of her as my loving mother, mm-hmm. the very same mother that Jesus said effectively to me, because he says it to all of us, behold your mother. Right. That was hard right. for that trust, just because of my own experiences in my own life with my mm-hmm. own mother. So when did that change? You know, I think it began to change over the course of three years at mm-hmm. Steubenville mm-hmm. over the summer. Uh, every year, Kara and I go back to Steubenville. Um, it's our retreat slash needed recharge time. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yep. uh, the St. John bon- Bosco Conference there. And it really started to change over the course of that summer. Mm-hmm. So I think of the first summer, the first of those three summers, you know, I'd had a a difficult falling out with my own mom. Mm-hmm. It was right after you left. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't even like, you know, say, care, pray for me or right. kind of talk through that, you know, with anybody. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody was gone at this point. And so I always visit the Portuncula at Steubenville when we go and there is a Marion Grotto in the back. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, I- I've tried so hard to make things work and it hurts. Mm-hmm. It hurts so much. Yeah. And I just remember going back into the port, looking up at Mary in the grotto there and saying, will you be my mother now? Mm-hmm. And I just sat on the bench looking at her for hours, mm-hmm. literal hours. It was a good yeah. four or five hours. And there was such a peace that eventually came in that it almost felt like Mary wrapped her arms around me. I didn't hear anything. Mm -hmm. I didn't experience anything other than a peace. Yeah. And it felt like she was hugging me Mm -hmm. in a way. Mm -hmm. And the peace was so strong that it started to rain. Mm -hmm. And it was like torrential (laughs) downpour rain. And I just stayed there. Mm -hmm. I was soaked. Ruined my cell phone. (laughs) (laughs) But there was just so much of peace. It was the first time I think I experienced Mary as a loving mother Mm -hmm. and perhaps maybe even the first time I experienced a loving mother, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yep. And that, that really stuck with me how profound of an experience that was. Yeah. Cause that's the thing. We go back to Steubenville every year. Mm -hmm. You and I both, we visit the port 
every year. And my prayer request, you know, is always the same. Lord, don't let me leave without the thing that you have for me here. I know you have a grace here. Don't let me leave without it. That's always happened, (laughs) you know, and I think especially I think of that year. And then the following year, we went back there and... Surprise, surprise. The theme was Mary. I know. That was so great. Yeah. (laughs) The whole theme of the conference. Right. And, you know, I I really think it was it was more a a furthering Mm -hmm. of the work that the Lord had done. It was, if you remember, Kara, it was a lot of reflecting on the prayers, like the Memorare. Yeah. The Hail Holy Queen. And the Hail Holy Queen. Like, what do these words actually mean? And so I found myself over that summer, over that week, there at Steubenville, going back to the port, mm-hmm, yeah. staying there for hours, just like always, and thinking on those words. Um, Never was it known that anyone who fled to thy pr- protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Mm-hmm. And so I found myself realizing that when I feel hurt, when I feel wounded, when I feel like I'm vulnerable, mm-hmm. I can go to Mary. I can go to her. She helped me. You know, I find that nurture in her. Right. And I needed that. So it was helping me to understand. I said that loving embrace. Mm -hmm. That's all I knew it as. Right. You need to know what that meant. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. What does that look like? So I think that that following year was understanding. Now, what do you do with that? What does that mean? Yeah. Because we can't just go from one warm, fuzzy moment Mm -hmm. to another. Like there has to be something more because there's going to be dry seasons because like you said, every relationship has its ups and downs. And it's hard to remember Mary's my loving mother who I can't see, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know. And so I needed to understand better the words Mm -hmm. and what does it mean? Mm -hmm. Not just a doctrine, not just a a warm feeling of peace. Mm -hmm. Not to dismiss that, but I needed the more of that. Right. And I think the following the following summer, which was this past summer, mm-hmm. to be honest with you, Kara, I think I'm still in that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm still figuring out what Mary's doing. Right. In that. But just like always, went to Steubenville. Mm-hmm. We actually went to the port together. Mm-hmm. Same prayer. Lord, don't let me leave without the grace you have for me. Cause I know you have a grace here cause you always do. Mm-hmm. Um, I go to Steubenville, I get recharged. I feel strengthened, right. you know? And, um, as the week went on, sure enough, <laughs> Kara, do you want to share a little I, bit about I what happened? Sh- <laughs> I can share. Um, cause I, if I'm remembering right, your prayer was at least from what you had shared with me was like, help me to see me, how you see me or want, you know, how, help me to see me. That's exactly how you would like me. To. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, I didn't know this at the time, but I, you said like, I kind of had answered that prayer for you. Mm-hmm. So I was at the, the port, um, praying and just like you said, like, it's just a very peaceful place and mm-hmm. like two hours had passed and I'm like, oh, wow, you know, I should probably get to the next <laughs> thing. I didn't even realize it had been two hours, but before I left, I went to that Marion grotto, um, that was right outside the port and I was just sitting there and, um, I didn't really know what to say to Mary. So I was kind of like, mm-hmm. you got a pretty cool son. And in my head, I was thinking about Jesus. It's mm-hmm. like, you got a pretty cool son. And then super nonchalant mary said i think so too or i think he's pretty cool too Mm -hmm. and you have to picture her like side smirk Uh you know shrug her shoulders and yeah i think he's pretty cool too Mm -hmm. but in that moment um fred's face like she brought fred's face into my mind Mm -hmm. so even though i was coming and just just like talking about christ she showed me fred i was like you've got a pretty cool son she's like i think so too and she was talking about fred and so i told him that and he had said that um that that kind of had answered the prayers and as you tell the yearly stories i think what i see in it is like you go you went to mary you asked can you be my mother the next year she shows you this is what that means to be my son and for me to be your mother and then the third year she's like okay you're my son like it's kind of this progression of you know, inviting her in and her showing you who you are. To yeah. Her. Yeah. And it, it's, it's, that was exactly, you're right. That what is exactly was my, my question. Mm-hmm. And you remember how I, how we started this conversation was a lot of how as human beings, how we come to understand our identity as people. Right. 
is through our mother, is through that loving gaze. And that was my prayer request that that year was, Lord, I just want to see myself how you see me. Mm -hmm. I want to understand why you created me. You know, who am I? (laughs) You know, feeling that sense of not knowing what my identity really was. Right. Actually, that was last summer, so it's progressed yeah. even even more this coming year. Um, earlier this year, Kara, I, the Lord wrecked me during <laughs> Holy Week, mm-hmm. as you know. Yeah. I think you mentioned, yes, I do have a pretty cool son. You mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. Um, I think for the first time in my life, you know, I, I spent the night literally in the chapel here mm-hmm. in our chapel. I fell asleep on the pew mm-hmm. <laughs> in prayer, which is really comfortable, by the way. Not. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> and uh, I heard Mary during that time, the only time this has happened, she said, let me be your mother. That's beautiful. Yeah. And it, it kind of felt like, okay, you, you've asked that progression you just talked about. You know, she walked me through that. Mm-hmm. This is what that means. This is what it looks like. This is how you do it. Like there was still a wall almost. She's like, yeah. I've told you, you are my son. Like, let me be right. your mother. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And the only obstacle to that is whether or not I let her in. Yeah. So what I've realized is like John, Jesus from the cross, his last words, last words are always important. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. Mm-hmm. And scripture says from that moment on, he took her into her home. Yeah, into his home. Into mm-hmm. his home. Mm-hmm. That's what I needed to do. That's what I still need to do. And if I'm honest, I'm still learning how to do that. Mm-hmm. Aren't we all? Amen. <laughs> so I think that's kind of the practical side of um, this first half of, of the episode. Let Mary in because she, just like God, she is right here, wants to be your mother. Amen. And she will she will point you to her son always. Amen. So we're going to transition to, um, it's the clip. If you want to go back and listen to the episode, it's called Full of Grace. That's the name of the episode. But we're going to include it here in this episode as well if you just want to keep listening. And this is really, um, I get kind of nerdy with scripture. (laughs) Nobody ever cares that I do that. Cares in the zone. (laughs) Um, But I'm just kind of teaching on scriptural uh, accounts of Mary and how that points to her Immaculate Conception. So let's prepare for the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, December 8th, and continue to learn about her. We are celebrating the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. So it seemed pretty fitting to me to do some kind of learning or teaching about this. So today, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, December 8th, it's a holy day of obligation, which when the church has these days where we are quote, obligated. That is the word the church uses. But I feel like I want to say this because I feel like sometimes when we have these days where we're obligated to go to mass, I feel like that word comes with a certain connotation. And it almost makes us in our mind just maybe, maybe for some of us go, we're being forced or I have to go to mass. Um, But holy days of obligation and Sundays It's not the church wanting to force us to do things or to to make us feel guilty or rushed in the midst of a busy day to get to Mass. The church has instituted these days because there are profound moments in our history of the faith or key beliefs that we want to celebrate, and we do that with Mass. So she does this, and she asks us to come to Mass and make some Holy Days of Obligations, Because she wants us to come to her and rest. Rest. Not rush, not stress, but rest. And we do this most fully through Christ. All right? So today, what God did for us and what we are called to come and remember and rest in and celebrate was pave the way for Christ to enter the world and our lives. Very fitting for Advent. (laughs) So today is the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. Honestly, I always thought that this was about Jesus because Jesus was miraculously conceived. So I thought Immaculate Conception was about Jesus. Even when the readings at Mass uh, growing up, they were always about Mary. And I was like, hmm, they didn't really talk about Jesus being conceived. That's super weird. Um, But I didn't really learn what the Immaculate Conception was and that it was about Mary until I was in college, believe it or not. 
But hopefully this episode can help anyone who might not know either um, or anyone who is curious about the Catholic faith or about Mary. So the Immaculate Conception pertains, just to kind of give you a glimpse, I'm not going to go fully into it yet, but the Immaculate Conception pertains to Mary and her conception in the womb of her mother, Saint Anne. So Mary, at the moment of her conception, at the moment of entering into this world, was preserved from all stain of original sin, all right? So I'm not going to explain that yet because before going into that and what kind of all of that means, there might be some people, um, maybe non-Catholic listeners or even Catholics who just haven't had the opportunity to really get to know Mary um, or had an opportunity to study her. And may not know what all of this means. So I actually want to start before getting into specifically the Immaculate Conception. I want to start by talking about why Mary? Who was this young virgin? Why her? Why is she so important? So we're going to get into scripture as always. So um, feel free to pause and grab your Bibles. So Mary is shown to be set apart. Mary is so instrumental in the story of salvation history. But Mary is shown to be set apart from the very beginning of creation. So in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, this is often referred to as the Proto-Evangelium, the first gospel or the first proclamation of the good news. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, it's where God is speaking to the serpent and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between her offspring and your offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is actually today's first reading at Mass, is Genesis chapter 3. And there's a reason that it's in the readings. Because this comes in the context of Adam and Eve. So they had just committed the original sin. God gave them one commandment. Don't eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what do they do? They eat of the tree. So this is Adam and Eve's original sin. And within the context of receiving their just punishment from God, God gives this message in in Genesis 3.15. He gives them hope. It might not read that way, but that's what it is. In the midst of receiving this and being cast out of the garden, God gives hope because he's giving in this passage about the woman and her offspring crushing the head of the serpent. What he is doing is giving the promise of a savior. And the savior is going to come through the woman. So we see in the New Testament, we see who this woman is. So I'm going to jump to John chapter 2, the wedding at Cana, and we get to see who this woman is. Oftentimes, this passage or this account of the wedding at Cana is referred to as the scripture passage where Jesus performs his first miracle and he begins his public ministry. And he does. Okay, this this is true about the passage. But I'm going to argue that although that is true, I think this passage is inherently Marian and intended to be Marian, okay? Marian meaning about Mary. So John chapter 2 begins by saying, There was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the marriage with his disciples. So I love this passage because it reminds me, um, Fred and I are really big Office fans. And this passage always reminds me of The Office. And it's the episode where Charles Minor is there and uh, David Wallace comes in and they're trying to argue like who should be in the meeting. And Charles goes, Dwight, come on. Oh, and um, Jim. And then Dwight goes, come along afterthought. This always reminds me of that. Not that Jesus is an afterthought. That's not at all what I mean. Because if it's a Marian passage, Mary, Mary's intention is always to point us to Christ. But I always love this because I think John wants to set up this passage as a Marian passage. It says the mother of Jesus was there. Oh, and Jesus and his disciples, they were there too. All right. But this passage is where Mary goes to Jesus and intercedes for on behalf of the wedding couple because they are out of wine. And this is a pretty big deal. All right, I'm not going to get into all of the little things because I honestly think the wedding at Cana could be its own shorty or its own episode, so I'm going to skip over some things. But she goes and she wants to intercede for this couple, and she says, they have no wine. And Jesus' response to her is, Oh, woman, what have you to do with me? My hour has not yet come. 
Sometimes this can be read as a rebuke. And I don't mean that it's being accurately read as a rebuke. I mean, sometimes it's easy for us now in, uh, you know, in our culture and how we would read that to be like, oh, woman, what, what have you to do with me? You know, my hour has not come almost like it's, it's like he's scolding her. This is not what's happening here. That's not at all what's happening here. Actually, what is happening here when he says, oh, woman, is that he is telling us who Mary is. She's the woman from Genesis 3, chapter 15. That's what he is doing. If you don't buy that, <laughs> read through all of John. Start with chapter 1. There are themes beginning in John's gospel that are very similar to Genesis. Like it goes it goes through different passages and it'll start different sections leading up to um, John 2 that'll say the first day, the next day, the next day, the next day. So, okay, that was four times. We're on day four. And then when it gets to chapter two in the wedding at Cana, it says three days later. So first, there are similarities to the creation account because the creation account goes and the next day and the next day. And then three days later from day four, if you're following me, <laughs> in John's gospel, we have four the next days. And then and then the wedding at Cana starts three days later. What's four plus three? Day seven. So day seven in Genesis is like the pinnacle of creation. It's, it's the day that the Lord says everything is good and he rests and he blesses that day. So John here is setting up this account, the wedding at Cana, a Marian passage to reflect Genesis like it's a new Sabbath day. It's important. <laughs> and it does relate to Genesis. All right. And a better translation, a more accurate translation, um, rather than what have you to do with me, would be what would you have me do? My hour has not yet come. That doesn't sound like a rebuke to me. Woman. What would you have me do? My hour has not yet come. What that sounds like to me is Jesus saying, woman, the one from Genesis that birthed me, the offspring that would crush Satan's head. That's who I am, Jesus. <laughs> what should I do here? Because my hour has not yet come. The hour that is a reoccurring theme in John's gospel that refers to the cross. The hour that's going to lead to the sword piercing Mary's soul. That Simeon tells her in the temple in Luke's gospel. Yeah, that hour. That hasn't yet come. It's not time, mom. So what would you like me to do? Because if I do this, the path that leads to the cross is going to start today. That's what's happening in this passage. Jesus is inviting his mother to begin his ministry before the time. There's a deeper lesson in her response that I, I think is probably more fitting for a future episode. But the point for today of that passage is that Jesus is pointing out that Mary is the woman who is set aside for all of time. The one foretold of at the time of creation that would bring about the Savior. And now in this account, the one who begins his public ministry, his path to the cross. So this is reiterated in John's gospel again at that hour in John 19. So at the foot of the cross, the hour spoken of in John chapter 2, the hour that Mary gave permission to start. This happens in John 19, 27. Jesus is on the cross and it says that he sees his mother and the disciple he loved standing near. And Jesus said, woman, behold your son. Again, pointing out that she is the woman from Genesis chapter 3, who is going to crush the head of Satan. And how does she do that? By offering herself, by being a part of God's plan for salvation, by giving of her body to bring God into the world. She is the woman. And obviously the offspring is, of course, Jesus. But in this scene in John's gospel, Jesus gives all of us to Mary as her offspring. Okay, I'm going to explain that. Jesus gives all of us to Mary as her offspring because it says, woman, behold your son. So John, the, the apostle John, is the one standing at the foot of the cross. He is the, the one that Jesus is talking about when he says, woman, behold your son. He's talking about John. And John is also the author of this gospel. But he doesn't say, John does not write, Jesus said this to his mother and me. 
He says, Jesus says to his disciple whom he loved. Okay, so this is purely opinion of Kara. This is not scripturally based. I'm not going to point to scripture, but I think there's a reason that he does this. I think that John intentionally keeps this general because I think he wants us to place ourselves in this account. We are the disciples at the foot of the cross. We are the disciple he loves. We are the beloved son or daughter of God, the Father, through our baptism. We are the brother and sister of Christ. And we are the spiritual children of Mary, the mother of God. And if we want to be beloved disciples of Jesus, we must see Mary in this way as our mother, just like John, the beloved disciple. Okay, getting a little sidetracked here. I really love Mary and scripture passages. But the point of all that... (laughs) was to show you that throughout scripture, Mary is set aside. Mary is the one that God planned to work in to enter the world, to bring Christ into the world. And we see this throughout the Old and New Testament. Like in in Isaiah chapter 7, um, in verse 14, it talks about Mary. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us already talking about Mary as the virgin. So at the Annunciation, this isn't, the feast is not about the Annunciation, so I'm not going to get into this, but when it says, you know, the angel appeared to a virgin, people would have remembered Isaiah chapter seven. So this was very important. So Mary was always the plan. And of course, if Mary was always the plan from the very beginning of creation, God would work in her life from the moment she entered this world, from the moment of her conception. Okay, so we're going to get a little bit deeper now into the Immaculate Conception and kind of where this dogma comes from. Dogma meaning um, it's a true teaching of the faith given by God through divine revelation. So the Immaculate Conception is one of four Marian dogmas, and it means that Mary was conceived in the womb of her mother without original sin. So before kind of explaining that a little bit more, what is original sin? So original sin has has two meanings, and I already kind of mentioned one, but the very first sin of the world was committed by Adam and Eve, and we, ta- we call that original sin. So when they first disobeyed God and ate the fruit. But original sin can also describe the fallen state of human nature. We are all fallen, all of us. We all are inclined to sin. This fallen state that all of us are in is called original sin, and it affects every single person born into the world. All right, so this kind of dual definition of original sin comes from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It's in the glossary, but it's also in Scripture. (laughs) We see this in the world, and we see it in Scripture. Um, I can see it in my own heart. I am naturally inclined to sin. There are many things that I do that I'm like, why did I do that? I think all of us can look at our culture today, and we see this within the world. But we also see it in scripture. So Paul writes in Romans chapter 7, he says, I do not do what I want, but I do that very thing that I hate. Why? Why does he do that? Because he is fallen. We are all fallen people because of original sin. And the only thing that can help us to avoid sin is grace. There is further evidence of original sin, and we see this in Romans chapter 5. So I'm going to read it very briefly, but it's starting in verse 12. Therefore, as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all men sinned. Okay, so death and sin came into the world by one man. Who's the one man? Adam. And it says, it spread to all men, because all men sinned. Not just talking about men here. It's talking about humanity. It's talking about all mankind. Well, we were not all alive when Adam was alive. But scripture tells us because of Adam's one sin, all men sinned. So we have this fallen nature. All right. And I'm going to jump to verse 18. It says, Then as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one man's act of righteousness leads to acquittal and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. We were made sinners by Adam. So by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Because of Adam and Eve, all of us are conceived. We enter this world with 
sin, with a fallen nature, in a state of original sin. We are, as this, this passage says, we are made sinners. But because of Jesus' sacrifice, we will be, notice future tense, we will be made righteous. How are we made righteous? How are we forgiven of our sins and of this original sin? For us in the church, it's through baptism. It's through baptism. One of the fruits of baptism is to cleanse us of sin. Oftentimes in the Catholic church, we do baptisms for babies, for infants. Well, if one of the fruits is to cleanse us of sin, what sins could infants possibly have? Original sin, because all of us are born in the state of original sin. All of us have this fallen nature. But baptism brings the life of God. It brings the Holy Spirit. It brings the the grace of Christ into our hearts by washing away the stain of the sin of Adam and Eve. So through Christ, we are made righteous. But Mary did not need baptism. Mary was saved from original sin from the moment of her coming into being. She always, always had God's grace. She always had the divine life living within her, okay? So we can see this in today's gospel reading for Mass. Perfect place to turn. (laughs) So it's in Luke chapter 1. I'm only going to read a very brief part, but it's from Luke chapter 1, which is the Annunciation. So the angel, it says that in the sixth month, referring to um, Elizabeth's pregnancy, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and considered in her mind what sort of greeting this might be. So that's all I'm going to read from the Annunciation, because for the sake of discussing her immaculate conception, that is what we need. The angel comes to her and says, hail, full of grace. So the word here, hail, the Greek word can mean also mean rejoice. The way that the angel speaks to her He doesn't call her Mary. I know as Catholics, our prayer is Hail Mary. But he says, Hail, full of grace. Like that is her title. Her name to the angel is full of grace, right? So this is why Mary was troubled, all right? We see in the the passage just previous to this, Zechariah was troubled and he questioned God. And there were consequences to that. And he couldn't speak for nine months. He was mute for nine months. This is not the same kind of being troubled. Mary is troubled because it says she pondered what sort of greeting this was. Hail, full of grace. He greets her with a title. And the Greek word here for full of grace, the Greek word that that is used here in scripture is kekari tomine. Maybe I'll put that in the show notes if if you're a visual person, you want to see it, but kekari tomine. All right, St. Jerome St. Jerome is um, one of the primary people um, who translated the Bible to Latin, but he uses, specifically uses the phrase full of grace. I know some of our English translations will say, you know, rejoice, which the word does mean rejoice, hail, but they can say rejoice, highly favored one. But Jerome, St. Jerome specifically says full of grace. Why would he do this? Well, because this Greek word kekaritomine, the root of this word is charis. C-H-A-R-I-S is charis. And this Greek word charis means grace. The root word of her title is grace. So this word has never before been, been used in scripture at this point. Never. Origen, he's one of the early Christian theologians. He says that this is the only place in all of scripture where this word appears. And Mary is the only person that this word, kikari tomine, is applied to. This is why Mary is troubled. Okay, Mary is troubled because she did not know this word. 
Mary was troubled because she did not know this word. She knew the writings of scripture. Mary was very familiar with scripture. How do we know Mary was familiar with scripture? Well, because throughout scripture, it says Mary pondered these things in her heart. She was a pondering meditative woman. And we can even look at her Magnificat that she gives with Elizabeth. Her Magnificat sounds a whole lot like Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Mary knew this prayer of Hannah. So who's Hannah? Well, really quickly, Hannah praises God because she has this son, Samuel, who she had been praying for and who she never thought she would have because she was a barren woman. Mary, a perpetual virgin, never having been with a man, resembles this prayer, praising God for a son she never thought she would have. Mary knew the scriptures. But she didn't know this word because it's nowhere else in scripture. So Origen says that if Mary had known of someone else who had been addressed with these words, she would not have been troubled. It's not to say that full of grace doesn't appear elsewhere. We see this with Stephen in the book of Acts where he is called full of grace. But it's never addressed to him like a title. And it's never the word kekaritomine. Okay, so Mary is told she is full of grace with this word. And going a little bit further, this Greek word is a perfect passive participle. So this indicates that Mary was perfectly filled with grace and had always been filled with grace. She had always been filled with grace. So the word, remember I said charis is the word grace. There's another word that has charis as as the root. It's in Ephesians chapter 1 where it says, um, I think it's verse 5 through 7. It says, he freely bestowed on us the forgiveness of our trespasses. But the word here, it could be translated, he freely graced on us. He freely graced because the root of that word, ekaritosin, um, the root is kari, so it means graced. So he freely graced on us the forgiveness of our trespasses, found in Ephesians 1. So what is grace? To be forgiven. Grace is to be forgiven. And this is where the church gets the immaculate conception. Mary was conceived immaculately in that she was graced or forgiven, of original sin at the first moment of her existence. Mary was conceived and born without original sin, which would make sense, which would make sense from what we just got from Romans, because I already showed you that all men are made sinners through Adam. It's like it's genetic. Okay, it's handed on. We are all sinners because of Adam. And it's passed on to all humans. But Mary, the bearer of God in her womb, is without this stain. So the stain is not passed on to Christ. Because God chooses to enter into this world as a human being. So that doesn't change our past history of salvation. It doesn't change Adam's sin. There is still this genetic, this genetic handing on of original sin. So God has a plan in all of this and he preserves Mary and Jesus is sinless. There is a difference. There's a difference between Mary and Jesus because Jesus is sinless because he's divine. Jesus is perfect because he is God. Mary is sinless because God chooses to preserve her. It's not of her own accord, but it's because Jesus, her son, who she will bear, won this grace on the cross through his sacrifice. So his sacrifice is outside of time. And the grace that he won on the cross is applied to Mary at the moment of her conception. Hopefully all of this really gives you a new light to what we are celebrating today and who we are honoring today in Mary and in her immaculate conception. But we also started Advent recently. And admittedly, again, I didn't really have familiarity with um, liturgical seasons, but Advent is a time of preparation, a time where we can look forward to the coming of Christ and we prepare ourselves and our hearts and our lives for the coming of Christ. And Mary was the avenue of this. God chose to enter the world. God chose to take the form of a slave. We see this in, in Philippians in chapter 2, verse 7. Um, 
God emptied himself. We call this the kenosis. We call this scripture passage the kenosis or the self-emptying. God emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. How did this happen? How did God empty himself, taking the form of a slave? Through a simple poor woman. Mary was the avenue that God used to come into this world, to empty himself for you out of love. So today, and within this time of Advent, I want to encourage you to spend some time with the Holy Family, to grow closer to Mary, grow closer to Joseph, and reflect on what it is that we are preparing for and look forward to in the coming of Christ. There are three ways that Jesus enters the world. Christmas, Jesus is born into this world. We prepare for the second coming of Christ because he will come again. And we await the second coming of Christ. And the third is that Jesus every single day enters into our lives and our hearts. He wants to. Every single day, Jesus wants to enter into our lives and into our hearts. So this Advent, I just challenge you to reflect on all of those things and to truly prepare yourself and your heart for this Advent and this Christmas season and give Jesus time to enter into your lives every single day.